today we have a special treat. Uh, we have um, Pastor Josh Woolley and his wife Carrie and their beautiful family. Uh, they are missionaries to Ecuador, and I'm going to let him tell his story. But can we give him a Hope Community Church welcome this morning? Good morning. It is so good to be here in beautiful West Virginia. I love it here. And this place is so fancy. I mean, the men here have such good beards. You guys have consistent electricity. I mean, I'm just taken back. <laughs> uh, but as they said, we are missionaries. My wife, Carrie, and I, and our three kids, we are missionaries to the Andes Mountains of Ecuador. And there we are. We're planting churches. We're training and equipping pastors. Uh, we're doing whatever we can to share the gospel with the unreached and overlooked people that are there. But uh, we, we love our lives, and it's just good to visit here. And uh, I'll tell you about our kids. So we have three kids. Our, our first, her name is Betty, and she has blonde hair and blue eyes. And as we go to mountain communities, or even when we're near our home, people are really taken back by this little blonde girl that has blue eyes. In fact, uh, we've taken her to places, and people want to have their picture taken with her because she has blue eyes. And so she doesn't like that at all, but... <laughs> It's fun for us. Our son, Emmanuel, he is our Ecuadorian. He was born there in Ecuador, and so he has dual citizenship. He is, he's really big for four years old, and I'm thinking that he will be able to represent Ecuador in the Olympics. Um, I don't know if they'll have a basketball team, and if they do, it won't be good, but he'll make the team, and that's, that's important. And then uh, our, our last one, Rosie. She is a product of, of quarantine uh, boredom. <laughs> and we'll never be bored again with her. <laughs> so we are, we are really, really blessed. Uh, we absolutely, it, it's just good to be family. But uh, our home is Ecuador. That's where God's called us. And that's where we're happy to be. And so um, today... Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about our experiences there, but today I want to talk about when you thought something was pronounced dead and it was really alive. So if, if you're taking notes, you can, you can write, where I thought there was death, there was life. And so, as I said, we are missionaries to Ecuador, and five years ago, uh, we arrived in 2018, and we had quite the, the missionary initiation, we'll just say it. It was, it was difficult. It was things that we, it was unplanned, but it was, some of it was just attacks of the enemy. Now, um, Chris, he told me I could tell you a funny story, but I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to tell you an inappropriate story. So um, I'll preface this, you know, so we have three kids and you know, the world, the world is rough right now. There's, there's a lot of exploitation. There's, um, there's sexual abuse and things like that. So because of that, we've made decisions on, on how, we, how we manage our kids and the things we teach our kids. But one of the things that, that our kids is they don't really mince words, especially when it comes to body parts. Like they know the names of body parts. Okay, so yeah, others in particular, yeah, you get it. So even my two-year-old daughter, she'll say some things and I'm like, oh man, this makes people uncomfortable. <laughs> And so my, my mother, she'll be in second service. <laughs> she, uh, 
whenever we go and visit Grammy, I have to say to the kids, listen, there are words that you guys say that Grammy has never said. <laughs> and when, when we go to Grammy's house, you do not say words that start with a P or, or anything like that. Like, Grammy will be very, very upset. <laughs> and so all that to say is, so here, here's where this, this story comes in. And so five years ago, we arrived in Ecuador. Uh, we ended up living in a, a, a jungle hotel for a month and a half. Uh, a jungle hotel is less luxurious than it sounds. <laughs> I, people think like, oh, this is, this is what I would put on Instagram. This is, not, this is not where we were living. So we were there for a month and a half. And then finally, uh, a, a little building opened up that we got to move into. That was our home. And we had a gas explosion uh, where I was burned. And I had second and third degree burns covering my legs. And so um, this is, I'm going to fast forward through this story. I'm not showing pictures or anything. If you're weird and you want to see pictures later, I have them on my phone. You can meet me out there. But... All that to say is this story is something that my wife and I still laugh about because so I've been in this jungle hospital for several days. Um, it, it's a jungle hospital is it's different. I'll say that it's it's less luxurious than the jungle hotel. <laughs> and so uh, I'm I've been there for several days. I'm sharing a room with three other men, and then this is visiting hours. So the families of all these other men are all visiting. So this room is, is filled with, with strangers, all Ecuadorians from, from all over, from, some from in the, the jungle, some from in the community. But all that to say is I'm, I'm there, and the nurses come up. And uh, my, my wife had just arrived at this point. And so my wife was actually getting, getting ready to leave. And the nurse called her back in. And the situation, it, it starts to feel kind of grave. It, it feels heavy. You can tell there's something that, that they want to communicate to us. And so this was, this was right after we had graduated our language training. And so Spanish was still kind of hard. It was still some things that were unfamiliar. And so the, the nursing staff, they, they gather around us. And they begin repeating this same phrase. And I didn't, I wasn't able to understand it. They said it again and again, and I just couldn't take it in. So then I thought, oh, I have my phone. So I, I had my phone, and I used an amazing app called Google Translate. And so Google Translate, it does not mince words. <laughs> and so we used Google Translate, and, and they typed in directly what, what they wanted to say, or maybe they set it into the mic or something like that. But all that to say is that it translated, and the context of this is I had just provided a urine sample. And so the nurse's words, uh, they said, the cup of urine contains death. <laughs> so here I am. <laughs> and my wife and I, like, we look at each other, and I'm like, I don't know whether we laugh or whether we cry. Like, this seems pretty serious because... The cup of urine contains death. <laughs> and so this really seemed like bad news. And I didn't know how to respond. And so then they say this other phrase. Now, just like I said, you know, with my kids, there are things we don't say. Sometimes when things are uncomfortable, we kind of dance around those things verbally. Well, when we do that, Google Translate does not help. <laughs> so 
after all kinds of like them saying it different ways. And I think they just didn't want to want to say it. But we finally find this one lady that, that was a nurse that spoke a little bit of English. And, and she came in and she said, well, we need to see your partes privadas. <laughs> and so I, I, I'll spare you the details, but um, I'll share some. <laughs> So here I am, uh, I'm in this room, there, there's no curtains for privacy, it is visiting hours. So my, my three friends are there that are in the beds next to me, along with all their families. <laughs> and um, everyone seemed to know what was going on. But us up to that point, it was one of those things, you know, like where people like get louder and they're like yelling and saying the same thing. That's basically what the nurses were doing. So everyone in the room understood the context of what was happening until we were the last ones. But all that to say is, um, I remember everyone staring at me, <laughs> everyone watching. <laughs> In fact, there was a grandmother that was there that she got up out of her chair to have a better view. <laughs> and so then after this, a second later, they say, está bien. And what that means is, it's fine. And I'm a little offended. Like, what do you mean it's fine? Like, <laughs> stop <me> in. <laughs> and they left the room like nothing happened. And so leaving Carrie and I in this room and, and, you know, everybody else is still there. And I'm thinking, wait, what about the cup of death? <laughs> like, what does that mean? And so if you ever wondered what it's really like to be on the mission field, <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it's, it's constant moments of saying, should we be concerned? Or are we in a prank show? <laughs> and so that's, that's kind of how it feels. But today I want to talk to you about when things are pronounced dead physically, but are actually alive spiritually. And so first I want to speak to you about a man named Joseph. And after Joseph walks through many pits of hardship... In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says this to his brothers. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So let's review these parts of his hardship. Joseph, he starts out being his father's favorite, his favorite son, having dreams of his brothers bowing down to him. And we pick up this narrative in Genesis 37, uh, starting here in verse 17. I'll read. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns which was a, a, a collection unit of water, <clears throat> and say that a ferocious animal devoured him, and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. <laughs> when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, and don't lay a hand on him. 
Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So then, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So Joseph is sold for the equivalent of what it would have been maybe $100. And this would have been the, the price of a slave that, that had a disability or, or that, was, that couldn't walk. So uh, a slave that couldn't work. But see, what we see here is, so Joseph's father, to Joseph's father, he was pronounced dead. To his brothers, he seemed as good as dead. And perhaps to Joseph even himself, everything through his life, it would slowly be dying inside. As he would see the pyramids and, and the sphinx come into sight as he was being led to Egypt. But there's this theme that's repeated throughout this narrative. And it's this, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And as it seems, Joseph, he descends deeper and deeper into abyss in the sight of God. Even being in prison and still the Lord remains with him. The Lord was with him. Now, if you've been in church any amount of time, you've probably heard the story preached before. And you've heard it probably in the context of, uh, look at all the ways that God prospered him. He still gave Joseph favor and prospered him. And even I preach sermons on this text from this angle. But today, I want to address the things that are pronounced dead. So as I said before, to Joseph's family, he was as good as dead. They even believed that he was dead. But God was still Sovereignly at work in the situation. Joseph, he was the beloved son of his father. And so there are actually, this is an illusion. There are many parallels between Joseph and a story that, that we'll talk about in just a moment. But there's connections from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so Joseph was the beloved son of his father. His coat of colors, this represented the favor that was covered with blood of an innocent animal. But as I said, there was also another beloved son. We know him as Jesus. And he came to look after the sheep of his father. Very similar here. And when they saw him coming, they plotted against him. They stripped him of his royal robe, and he was killed by his fellow brothers, the people from his home except the blood that was, that was splattered. It wasn't of another innocent animal. 
It was his because he was the innocent lamb of God, the pure and spotless lamb. And so we see this, this connection. Jesus was crucified. He was pronounced dead. He was buried in a tomb. Similarly to Joseph, he falls deeper into an abyss. But unlike Joseph, because with Joseph, we were told the Lord was with him. We read that Jesus cries out in a loud voice, the opposite, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus, he echoes words of prophecies from the book of Psalms. And so this is Psalms chapter 22. And listen to it. It says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From, from, the, words, or from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I do not find rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on all praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm. I am not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Uh, That was verse 8. Moving on to verse 16. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It It melted within my breast. My strength is dried up. I am like potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For the dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And my clothing, and for my clothing, they cast lots. Okay, can we just say that this is, this is an amazing thing that happened here. That in the Psalms, this was the prophetic word of what would happen to Jesus. The abandonment, the things that he would feel. All right, moving on, verse 29 through 31, it says this. All the um, prosperous of the earth and eat and worship before him shall bow and all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Uh, Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. And they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. It says that he has done it. So this is an amazing thing. It's, it's, that was foreshadowing, but we see the sacrifice that happened there. Now, my wife, she has been reading some, uh, some children's classics to our kids. Uh, she's taken that on. That's something that we do at nighttime. And we've slowly been making our way through, through some of the things like the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Paddington Bear, and others. But the first one that Carrie ever read aloud to our kids 
was Charlotte's Web. And I don't know if you know that story, but uh, I had somehow, that wasn't a story that was read to me when I was a kid, but I listened to my wife share it for the first time as she read it to our kids. And so there's a pattern in these stories that we started to notice that any story that was worth listening to dealt with sacrifice. And if you read the, the, the book or have seen the movie, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you remember that, that Aslan, the lion, he sacrifices himself for the stubborn and prideful Edmund. You remember that? But in Charlotte's Web, in the last line of the second chapter, Charlotte's Web, it paints this picture perfectly. And if you're unfamiliar with the story, it's about a spider, and the spider takes interest into this whiny little pig named Wilbur. <laughs> and uh, the, the pig is, is destined to die. He's going to go to the slaughterhouse. But Charlotte vows to keep him alive. And she does so by, by spinning webs and writing words in these webs. And these words were very intriguing to the people in, in the town. And so, in the end, Wilbur didn't have to face the slaughterhouse like the fate of most pigs would be. But this line, it says this, nobody of the hundreds of people that had visited the fair knew that the gray spider had played the most important part of all. No one was with her when she died. She died in loneliness. Well, she died alone. I'll read to you, this is Hebrews chapter 13. I'll read uh, verses 12 and through 15. It says this. So Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by the means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home that's yet to come. So today, I ask you, where do you place your hope when things or people or circumstances, situations, they seem dead? They've been pronounced dead in, in, in before you. Maybe the better question is, who do you place your hope in? Where do you put your hope when things just seem like it's, it's all falling apart? I'll share a little bit about some of our, our, our missions experience in, in this was. So we left to go to our language training, and that was in San Jose, Costa Rica. We, we began our language training there, and it was difficult for me. I'm not a good student. You know, I, I'm from an eastern part of Virginia, and I was homeschooled. And so learning, I can't learn good, guys. So as we were in language school, I struggled trying to pick up on the language a lot at first. And things seemed really, really difficult in that time. And so my wife, uh, she got pregnant. And this was exciting because this was going to be our second child. And then there was uh, some complications that started to arise and, and some symptoms she began to show that uh, maybe there was an issue with the pregnancy. And so this was, this was pretty close to the initial beginning of the pregnancy. And so we went to the hospital in Costa Rica and uh, as we were there, the doctors, they're explaining to me what's happening. And uh, 
for, for Carrie, she had to go back to the doctors and for them to, to confirm all this was happening. And for me, I felt really hopeless. I, I was struggling just to understand the, the language. But then in another level, I was in a situation where I was saying, Lord, I don't understand this. I, I don't get this. We, um, first five years of our marriage, we actually lived in a retirement center with 160 elderly people. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> also inappropriate. Um, but all that to say is we made friends with, with lots of, of older ladies, older men. And there was this one old lady that said, well, don't you worry. The safest place that you can be is in the will of God. Everything will be fine. And that was a lie. <laughs> we came to find out that one of the most dangerous places that you can be is in the will of God. Because that's when the enemy really wants to attack. Now, we were protected. But in that situation, I remember saying, God, where are you in this? For Carrie, she felt the same way. And the voice of the Lord was really, really quiet. Maybe I couldn't even hear it at all, but I did know that I could hear the voice of the enemy. And this is what he was saying, is you're not cut out for this. You're not a good missionary. For Carrie, she kept hearing, you should just quit. You should go home. And this was something that, that, that carried a lot of weight for us. And, and so I, I started out with, you know, this, this funny story of, of, of the hospital and that type of thing. But so this was nine months prior to, um, to us moving to Ecuador. Again, we, we lived in this, this jungle hotel for a month and a half. And so this hotel was called the Hotel Romanza. And so that means romantic. Now, I'll say this, is that when your wife is six months pregnant, there's no air conditioning, and you have your two-year-old in the bed with you, there's no romance happening in the Hotel Romanza. <laughs> and so I was like, God, why? <laughs> no, I didn't understand why things felt so difficult. And then we moved into our, our, our new home, we had this gas explosion. I was, I was taken to the jungle clinic. And as I was, I was sharing my bed with cockroaches in the jungle, I said, Lord, I don't understand this. Where are you in this situation? You seem so far away when I groan for help. And again, we felt the opposition of the enemy saying the same thing. If you left, no one would blame you at this point. Just go. You can quit. Go home. And so uh, after, after a few weeks, uh, I was home again, and I was recovering. I could walk again. And uh, in the middle of the night, a group of thieves came into our home, and they robbed us. They took our money. They, they took our belongings. And, and the morning after, Carrie and I were, were sitting on the bed together, we're saying, God, where are you in this situation? I don't understand. We need you here. And again, the voice of the Lord was really quiet. But the voice of the enemy was very loud saying, just quit. Just go. And so it felt like God was quiet. I dare even say silence. 
And we had all these glorious ideas of what we thought serving God would look like, what the mission field would look like, the things that we would get to do, the things we get to be a part of. And it felt like the call that we had to Ecuador had died. I remember uh, us saying, (laughs) sitting on the bed, crying together, and said, Lord, if you want to call us back to the States, we'll even be missionaries to Iowa. (laughs) (laughs) But we just felt this pulling, oh, just go home. Just quit. But we knew where God had called us. Again, I ask, what do you put your hope in when things seem dead? When your vision seems dead? When your passion when you're drive, all those things seem dead. I, I want to point out some of the words that Paul said in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Put your hope in Jesus in these words. And so this is what it says. I want you to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, let me say that again, one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from death. So Jesus was pronounced dead. We know that. But he didn't remain dead. In Romans 6, 10, 11, it says this. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give you life in your mortal bodies. The same, by the same spirit living in you. We have a place of hope in God. We have a place of hope in his resurrection. And just as Jesus is a better Joseph, Jesus is the more pure Joseph. He's the more righteous Joseph. What was true, seemingly, seemingly death for Joseph was the true actual death of Jesus. And in both of these cases, we see God intended it for good. What was then being done was for the sake of saving many lives. And that is the good news. That's what what this resurrection is all about. Uh, I'll wrap up with this. And and many of you, maybe you know uh, some of the political situations that are going on in Venezuela. And so while we are missionaries to Ecuador, we've, we've met a lot of Venezuelans that have become our friends. And many of them are there as refugees. And so I believe in, in 2015, in fact, all of the missionaries of the Assemblies of God were pulled out of Venezuela for safety reasons. And many of these Venezuelans, during that time and still, they were forced to leave their property, their belongings, their food, their clothes, their documents. And we live among these stories. And you know, we see families that are living under bridges with their kids. We see people begging on the streets just to get money or just to get food. Even one of our babysitters, one of the girls that, that cares for our kids, she can't go to college because she doesn't have the documents showing that she graduated high school. And so we have dear friends that are in this situation, and uh, there's, there's two in particular. that They're a couple, and their names are Javier and Ana, and they're Venezuelan pastors. And they left their country in this same situation. They left the house that... that they owned together, where they grew up in this community. They left their belongings and their jobs because it was, it was dead to them to start a new life in Ecuador. So in so many ways, it was dead. There was deep loss. But even in death, God is sovereign. And so today, they're meeting right now. 
Their pastors, as I said, and Javier and Ana, they're our dear friends, and they're pastoring this little church that's inside a woman's garage. And every Sunday, they pray for people specifically. They take time to even pray for us as missionaries. They share the word of God and the love of Christ with people that some of them have, have judged them because they're because their nationality. And every Sunday, they share tuna fish sandwiches and uh, some type of juice that's made from water. But um, this church is growing. Where they thought that things were over, that there was death, now there's life. And the life isn't just in them. There is new life propagated in the people that are going to this church. So where they thought death came, there was actually something living, something that was being cultivated and growing. I want to invite uh, my wife to come up and share. So for them, like I said, this seemed like a death sentence. Their dreams, you know, they, they left their home behind. He, he showed me on Google Earth where it was. But now they are examples of what it looks like to share life with others. Come on up here, babe. I present you my wife, Carrie. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just wanted to close out with just, uh, I, don't, I hope it'll be short. I can be long-winded. They never give me an opportunity. Okay, that's my time. Good. I like you people from West Virginia. I'm from Minnesota, but you all seem like a crowd that I could eat hot dish and listen to John Denver with. So I like you guys. Um, yeah, as Josh said, you know, our season, our first season in Ecuador was painful, traumatic, overwhelming. And I don't know if you all have had this, but where the Lord is just silent and you're like, God, if you would just give me a word or something and there was nothing. And can I, this is going to be a plug for you to pray for your missionaries, okay? I'm going to convict you with the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now. If you've committed to pray for missionaries, you're not praying for missionaries, you can go start praying for missionaries right now. Because I tell you, it wasn't our grit that kept us on the field. It was not. I, I completely believe it was the saints back at the churches that sent us that were praying for us that kept our feet where we were called. Because I look back at that season and I'm like, I don't know why we stayed. It had to have been the prayers. So can I say your prayers are what literally keep people in the field of their calling. And so I say all that because God was so quiet for months and months and months and months. And so what had ended up happening after I give birth to our son, Emmanuel, we end up making friendship with this couple who are from the Middle East, are Muslim, and their names are Mohammed and Miriam. And we had had a heart for Muslims, had never really thought about meeting Muslims in Ecuador, but God orchestrated all these things so beautifully. So while I'm in the midst of my own hard season of literally just trying to put one foot in front of the other, I have my Muslim friend Miriam come over to my house. It was one of the first times we ever got together for tea, one-on-one. -on -one. She takes off her hijab, which I had never seen her long, glorious hair before because we were always in mixed company. And so we started talking about culture because she speaks Arabic and English, so we speak uh, English together. And so we were talking about Ecuadorian culture because we're both foreigners to Ecuador. And so then I started asking her about 
Middle Eastern culture. And so I'm like, so what is it like when a woman has to start covering her head? Is it a happy day? Is it a sad day? Like, what's the emotions that go? Because we were talking about quinceaneras and Latinas getting high heels and things like that. And so I was like, what is it like becoming a woman in the Middle East? And she said, oh, it is such a sad day. She's like, we have this saying in Arabic that says, um, God counts the number of hairs on a woman's head that are exposed, and he counts them as haram, as sin, as forbidden, because a man is not supposed to see the hairs on a woman's head. And she's like, so it's such a sad day, because now you just forever live under this burden. And that was the day that the Lord spoke to me again. Because as I sat with my friend Miriam and got to share Jesus with her for the first time, and I was able to say, Miriam, that's so interesting. I know God as Father, and He also counts the hairs on my head, but only out of affection for me. I was like, you know, Jesus came and said that we would know what God the Father is like because of Jesus. And Jesus said, My burden is easy and my yoke is light. And it was in that moment, after literal months and months and months of silence, that the Lord said, Carrie, aren't you glad you didn't go home? Aren't you glad you didn't go home? And so I, I want to fast forward this story because we have been on a journey with Muhammad and Miriam, and they are our dearest friends. Let me tell you, you all go find some Middle Eastern friends because they will feed you and take good care of you. They are. They are our dearest friends. Uh, They have rejected Islam and are atheists and so open. We love talking about Jesus together. They love asking us questions about Jesus. And so I want you to pull up this picture I had sent because this is, I'm going to end with this story. So they're Palestinian. They've never been to Palestine. They've had, they kind of have a complicated story where they feel very lost and homeless. And that's kind of how they ended up in Ecuador. And so these are Palestinian doors. As you see, it says Bethlehem and Jerusalem and all these places. And it, when it was Mohammed's birthday, um, we wrote in his card, we gave him this picture of the Palestinian doors. And we said, we're praying for open doors for you. And we're always really open with them. We pray for them. We talk with them about Jesus. We've just always been open with them. So this didn't come as a shock to them. But what I did do was Revelation 3.20 has like been my verse for like the last few years. And I thank you to you version because I don't know Arabic and I cannot write it and cannot read it. I was able to print out Revelation 3.20 in Arabic, which is Jesus saying, I stand at the door and knock. And if anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and share a meal with him as a friend. So this is the most beautiful part. This just happened in June. We go over for his birthday. We bring cake. Our kids are there. You know, they're Uncle Muhammad and Aunt Miriam to our kids. And so we give him this. And he's starting to read this verse in Arabic. And he's looking really confused and really wild-eyed. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. Who, who's saying this? And he said that again to Josh. He's like, who is saying this? And we said, Jesus. This is Jesus saying he stands at the door and knocks. And again, with wild eyes, he said, this is crazy to me. Because he's like, it reminds me of my whole life in the Middle East. He said, how you know who your friends are 
is they come to your house unannounced and they yell for you till you let them in and you sit and eat with them. That's how you know who your friend is. And it was so beautiful. I mean, you give that glory to Jesus, the the original Palestinian Jesus, which was really funny. We're like, yeah, Jesus is a Palestinian just like you. And so anyway, it was just beautiful because we said, yes, Mohammed, Jesus is there standing at the door knocking. And so can I tell you all today, for you, you may not be called to Ecuador, But some of you may have felt like things inside of you have been pronounced dead or relationships have been pronounced dead. You may be hopeless. And I want you to, what I want you to know, and this is what we have, this is our lived testimony and our lived experience is not only when Jesus was resurrected, did he come back? Will he come back in glory? Will he come back as a king? He comes as a friend willing to sit and share a meal with you. And maybe some of you today need to reopen that door and invite Jesus in an intimate way to sit with you and share a meal, to revive, to give you a resurrected word. Because I tell you, when Jesus, when I heard those words, Carrie, aren't you glad you didn't go home? There's nothing like hearing a true word from God that resurrects the things that he has placed inside of us to accomplish for his glory. So would you stand with us? I think how you want to close this out. We're going to pray and we are always happy to pray for you. We grew up, we're, we're like old time charismatics where we grew up where people, not because we have any special power or anything, but we would just love to pray with you and believe as brothers and sisters in Christ and believe God with you. So if there's something that needs to be resurrected inside of you, we would love the opportunity to bring it to Jesus. Because in Jesus' hands, we know he can do a miracle. Only in his hands can you do a miracle. So, Father God, I thank you for this church in West Virginia. I thank you for this body of believers. God, I ask that you would resurrect the things inside of them and bring them to new life and hope as only you can, Lord Jesus. God, I thank you that you are sovereignly at work even when things seem dead and gone and hopeless. That just as you did for Joseph and just as you did for Jesus, what was intended for evil is turned for, the, for good and for the saving of many lives. So God, I know that there are souls connected to the, the saints that are here today. That there are people they're believing for. There are relationships they're believing to be redeemed and restored. And God, would you do a good work? As only you can. Jesus, as the fish and the loaves were placed in your hands and it was made into a miracle, we place everything in your hands. Everyone and everything in your hands. Knowing that in your hands, a good work, a miraculous work, a resurrected work can be done. We thank you that you come as our friend. May we know you in that way, King Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen.